Well, good morning, and uh, thank you for being here at Calvary Hills Baptist Church. My name is Eric Shields, if you don't know me. I serve in several ministries uh, here at the church, and today I'm the third-string preacher guy. Uh, so Ted Wilson was scheduled to preach. It was sort of a send-off to him. He is moving to the far side of town, and he feels like God's calling him to serve over there. So this was supposed to be his last Sunday, his big send-off, uh, but he came down sick. Uh, so Keith Manry, our interim preacher, he said, you know what, I, that's no problem. I can start my uh, sermon uh, series in James. I'll go ahead and do that. Wednesday night, I got a text message saying that he's sick. Uh, so then I'm trying to figure out who can, who can preach. And I realized it was me. Uh, so, so here I am, uh, despite the fact that I'm still learning how to ride my bike safely. Just let me tell you, it's an honor and a privilege to be providing God's message to you this morning. So last weekend, I did have a little spill on my bicycle, but uh, I'm okay. I hit my head, but uh, I'm all right. I'm going to make it. Um, so if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you've heard uh, Keith preach through the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Each letter was unique in that they were written to target specific areas within each church. I personally enjoyed these series because I was able to see areas in my own life that may be reflected in these sermons as well. I believe Keith has already mentioned that he's going to be preaching through the book of James for the next several months. When I found out that I would be preaching, my first thought was to just use a sermon I've already written, something I've preached one time before to a couple of people. You, know, you guys wouldn't know, right? Uh, so it'd be okay to do that. But as I prayed about that and I asked God what he'd have me to do, he placed this message on my heart instead. So I started to, uh, to develop it, just trust him and, and allow his spirit to, to teach me and show me what I should be preaching and so I'm going to try to connect the seven letters of, of uh, the Revelations to the book of James. This is kind of a, a bridge or a, a connection between these two sermons to help us understand that in looking at the seven churches, we see the key to success was keeping faith in God. If they just would have kept their faith in God, they all would have been successful. Complete reliance on Him. Something only a few of the seven churches maintain. Keith, Lee, uh, as he leads us through James... I believe faith in God in our Christian walk will come up multiple times in his sermon series as well. So with this in mind today, we'll be looking at men who maintain their faith in God and how he provided for them through their circumstances. With this message this morning, I pray that we'll understand that despite living in an ever-changing world, nothing new under the, under the sun surprises God. As a Christian, the pressure to change our, our ideology is building daily. However, when we put our faith into action, we will see God deliver us from everything the world throws our way. If you would pray with me again and for me as I bring the word this morning. Father God, I again come to you, Lord, and just uh, calm me down, Lord. Just uh, slow me down. Just help me to trust your spirit as I provide your message that you've given me, Lord. Just uh, I pray that if there's someone here that needs to hear this, that you would just touch their hearts Lord, touch their spirits to come into a knowledge of you, Lord, if there's one here that does not know you this morning. Lord, I just pray that this message would be used to encourage and strengthen the church body. Lord, as we go through this time of internship, Lord, that we would just be trusting and relying on you, knowing that you have chosen a man to come and shepherd us, Lord, but we all know that's in your timing and not in our desire. Again, just pray that you just be with me as I provide this word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you would, please take your Bibles, either printed or electronically. I did bring my Bible this morning to let you know that I do actually own one. Um, and turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. 
Daniel chapter 3. That's where we're going to spend our, our message this morning. There are 30 verses, um, but I'm not going to read them all at the same time. So, But if you would, please stand with me as we do read the, the key phrases, I think, that we need to look at this morning. So if you would, please stand. We're looking at Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Starting in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are going to serve your that we will not be serving your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Please uh, sit down now. Sorry. May God bless the reading of his word and those of you that have heard it. So this morning I'd like to take a look at these three Old Testament heroes and how their commitment to God can and should inspire us to stand up for God in our culture and society today. We know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are involved in the story as well as King Nebuchadnezzar, but there's also some players behind the scenes that play an integral part in this story as well. So let's look back at Daniel chapter 3, starting this time in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are, to, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. So what a crazy story this is. There's King Nebuchadnezzar. He constructed this grossly disproportionated image and basically said, if you don't acknowledge this magnificent masterpiece of might, you're going to burn. A quick side note on the harsh punishment of burning in the furnace. This was an ancient practice used by the Babylonians as an extreme form of punishment. And we get a glimpse of this punishment in Jeremiah 29. In verse 21, it says, The Lord of hosts says, The God of Israel concerning Ahab, the son of Coliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, who are prophesying a lie to you in my name, behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall strike them down before your eyes. Because of them, this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah to Babylon. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. So this isn't some new form of execution. This was a tactic used by Nebuchadnezzar quite often. So let's look at those other people that are involved. So the first thing I want to talk about are the participants. And first we see that we have Nebuchadnezzar and the certain Chaldeans or court officials. 
Previously, if you recall, back in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a giant statue made of various metals, and the dream had been interpreted by Daniel. Because Daniel was able to interpret the dream through the power of God, Nebuchadnezzar recognizes Daniel's God as one of significance. And let us remember, though, that Daniel interpreted his dream with the help of his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He had asked them to be praying for him to help him understand the dream. The end of Daniel chapter 2 tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar set Daniel up as the governor over Babylon, and he had asked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be assigned positions as well, and Nebuchadnezzar did that. Now, this did not go well, over well with the other court officials, the native Chaldeans. Imagine having foreigners rule over you, people that weren't born in your country telling you what to do. But these weren't just foreigners, these were prisoners of war. Those you had conquered are now being exalted over you. Now, there's a debate as far as the time lapse between the events of chapter 2 and chapter 3. Some speculate it might have been up to 60 years. But regardless of the time frame, these men were not pleased that the Jews had been placed over them. They had to figure out a way to dispose of these men. These officials, like most people, wanted the fame and the fortune and the accolades all for themselves. Their desire was to satisfy self. So the first participants, they wanted to satisfy themselves. They didn't care about the outcome for others or how their choices might affect other people. They were not happy that King Nebuchadnezzar had made these Jews rulers over them. They began to plot and look for any loopholes, regardless of how small and minute, to get rid of these three men. So let me pause and ask a question here. Do we see this kind of behavior in today's society? Can we look around in our culture and see how this is kind of infecting us as well? Do we see people getting angry because their truth is being challenged? Especially challenged when their choices impact others and most often in negative ways. So I'm going to reread verses 4 through 6, but I'm going to change the wording just a little bit. <clears throat> and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the voices upholding abortion, trumpeting transgenderism, or any issue supported by the alphabet army, you are to fall down and accept that these values are the new normal. And whoever does not, does not fall down and support these issues shall immediately be rallied against and scorned by society. Now, did I go too far? Because it's going to go farther. It's already happening around us all the time. But that's a message for another time. I'm not going to get that far into this one. I'm going to focus on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So fortunately, we do have these saints to help us see how to handle the, those who oppose the truth of God. So our second set of participants are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's interesting to note that only these three, three Jewish men were brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. There's no mention of Daniel or any other Jewish person. It's suggested that perhaps Daniel may have been out on, of the country or on official business. Um, and, and then the other people reading through the list of people gathered there were those who were of official position, all the satraps and magistrates and all those guys. They all had official positions within the government. So maybe Nebuchadnezzar was going to reveal his mighty image to these officials and then have them go back and tell the Babylonians what the expectation was. We don't know what that was for sure, but those proceedings were cut short when they brought these three men before Nebuchadnezzar. While only these three were called out, looking at their behavior and actions under fire should encourage us as Christians, knowing God has a plan for each and every one of us. We see from their interactions with Nebuchadnezzar that these three men were not looking for cultural congratulations. 
Their desire was to serve the Savior. They wanted to serve God. Let's look at Daniel 3 again, starting in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able. And I'm going to stop right there because that's the root of their action. Our God, whom we serve. That's where they found their strength from, and that's who they wanted to serve. If the churches in Revelation would have kept this mindset, not allowing others to perverse the truth of the gospel, and they would have kept their focus on Christ whom we serve, they all would have received letters of commendation rather than some receiving letters of condemnation. As moral values are changing, there are so many churches today that seek to satisfy themselves, allowing worldly points of view to creep in, thinking that they're reaching the masses, but many of them will hear Christ as he declared in Matthew 7, 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If we truly want to serve the Savior, then we'll follow what Christ continued with in verses 24 and 25. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And that rock is is the cornerstone of our church, Jesus Christ. Not man, not our feelings, not any movement or my truth, but Christ who was and is and is to come. Everyone who hears the words of Christ and obeys them will be serving the Savior. So we've seen who the participants are. Now let's look and see what the problem is. Because there's always a problem, right? Whenever people are involved, there's always a problem. So picking up again in verse 8, says, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of these instruments will fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? So this is kind of confusing because I'm not sure why the king was baffled that these three men were not serving his image. Because he knew who they were. He knew that they were there when David, or when Daniel, I'm sorry, interpreted the dream. They were there when Daniel asked them to have positions of power. But in his moment of fury, Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten who these men were from just one chapter ago. Forgotten that these men had served God, their God, that at one time Nebuchadnezzar proclaimed, truly your God is God's and the Lord of kings. Now he's acting like a child who isn't getting his way, and he's in total disbelief that anyone would reject him, reject his commands, or reject his golden image. So there's the problem. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego dismissed man. They dismissed man. They didn't care for what Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to do. They were going to serve their God. As one commentator puts it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are now named as the guilty parties, and three charges are brought against them. They paid no attention to the king's command. They did not serve the king's gods, and they refused to worship the golden statue the king himself had set up. The penalty for such actions was death in the fiery furnace. Now, if we can just step back for a moment 
and look at the very beginning of creation. When God created us to be relational, to have relations with one another, he made man, and then he gave man woman, and then God himself came to the garden daily for fellowship. God fellowshiped with us in the garden, but man destroyed that. And here's Nebuchadnezzar trying to fulfill his most basic need with yes-men. If he would have been spent more time with Daniel, he would have understood it's not all about him, but it's all about God, and it's all about Jesus. When we leave God out of our most important relationships, we tend to expect those relationships to meet the needs that only God can fulfill. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they all understood that. They knew the consequences of their actions. It's not like they didn't know about the proclamation sent out before uh, through Babylon because they were high-ranking officials. There's no way they didn't hear that glorious sound of the worship band, right, Angelo? Great sound I'm sure that made. They knew what they were doing, and they knew who really held their lives in, their hand, in his hands. Their response was one similar to Daniel before King Darius some years after this event in the, in the lion's den, and also Peter and John before the Pharisee council. They were devoted to God, right? So they dismissed man, and they were devoted to God because they knew who held their future. Again, let's look at verses 17 and 18. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Did you catch those words? I said them slow enough for you. Those three little, powerful, mighty words. But if not. That's a message all by itself, but I'm not going to go into that today because we don't have that much time. But how many of you have used those words before, your, before in your relationship with God or in your prayers? I've shared with most of you about my daughter Ashley when she had open heart surgery before her second birthday. And my prayer was, God, heal her heart supernaturally. I, I believe that God was going was to heal her supernaturally, but if not, but if not, I'll rejoice in the outcome you provide. Now, that's a tough prayer for a young dad and a two-year-old daughter going into surgery, not knowing exactly what was going to happen. But you know what? God healed her through the hands of a surgeon. Not the way I wanted it done, but in his way, not my expectation. And I'll always rejoice in him for that answer because he did provide the answer. So Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego placed their faith in God and made sure Nebuchadnezzar understood that they would rather die for God than pay any amount of homage to the king or his golden image. David Jeremiah explains it this way. When they said, but if not, they were not questioning God's ability to deliver them. They were placing themselves in submission to his will. They were saying, it might not be the will of God to deliver us, but if not, it still doesn't make any difference. If it wasn't his will to deliver them, they would accept that and glorify their God anyway. The problem we all face as Christians is man versus God. Are we willing to stand for God or are we going to succumb to the world and join the cultural chain gang? What really compounds the problem is that when Christian men and women in positions of authority use that authority in an abusive way, they can't claim that they are devoted to God when their actions prove otherwise. We need to do a better job as a Christian community to hold others accountable to God's standards and make them accountable for their actions. We see how the devious Chaldean officials do it with the wrong motives 
We need to uphold God's standards for the right motives. So we've seen who the participants are in this story. We have Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We understand what the problem is, is that that they dismissed God, or they dismissed man, sorry, and were devoted to God. Now let's look at the protection provided by God. In verse 15, we see Nebuchadnezzar doing something that a king would probably never do. Perhaps he remembers who Daniel's friends are, or he just suddenly remembers that he did give them positions of power previously. He gives them a second chance, if you will, by asking them himself if they will bow down before the king and his golden idol. I mean, the first try was, hey, you're done. But he asked them back and said, try again. Let's try again. But their response did not sit well with the king. As verse 19 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. So he's already in a furious rage because they were not following his decrees. Now Nebuchadnezzar really goes off the rails on a crazy train by ordering three things to happen. The first one is making the furnace seven times hotter. Some would argue that if he really wanted to make these men suffer, he would have lowered the temperature in the furnace so that it would have taken them longer to burn. But by heating it up, death was almost instantaneous. Number two was binding them in their clothes. In his outrage, he demanded that they be bound right away. Traditionally, they would have stripped them of their garments and thrown them in the furnace. However, we will see how this plays out later after they come out of the furnace. And then number three, he used his warriors. He commanded his mightiest warriors to toss these three men into the furnace. However, these men couldn't get too close to the furnace because of the intense heat. And after tossing them in, they ended up burning to death themselves because of the intense heat. But unfazed by the death of his valiant warriors, Nebuchadnezzar goes to watch the furnace, and almost immediately the king makes an observation. At first he thinks he's seeing things, so he asks those around him in in verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said, true, O king. There's those yes men again. He answered and said, but if I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were protected by God in that furnace. They were fellowshipping with one another and with one that appeared to be a son of the gods. This event is described as a theophany, which is a manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So again, the first way that God protected them was through fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. Not only did these three men have their ropes burned off, but they were joined by God in the midst of the fire and they were freely moving around. Something that we should learn from this experience is the importance of who our friends are and who we fellowship with. I would like to believe that on their own, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have stood strong before the king, but what a comfort it is to know that we have fellow believers who will stand by our side when times get difficult. What about your close friends? Are they believers? Do they share in the same fellowship as you? Do they share the same biblical truths as you? When it really comes down to it, would they be willing to stand for the same truths that you stand for? Who we fellowship really does make a difference in our lives. How many people that you associate with would be surprised to find out that you're a Christian? Of course, they should already know that because you've already told them that. But leaving God out of our relationship shows how important 
or unimportant he really is in our lives. So let's continue in our story. Nebuchadnezzar comes to the, next, comes to the door of the furnace demanding Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, to come out and to come to him. So they come out of the fire. Then all the officials gather around and they see that, their fire, that the fire has not consumed any part of their bodies. Remember in his rush to get them into the furnace, he left all their garments on them. Nothing was singed, nothing was charred, not even the smell of smoke was on their garments. Now, if you've ever been around a fire, you know that you don't have to get into the fire to smell like the fire. Just being around the campfire and the smoke gets on your clothes, people know where you've been. However, these three men had no evidence of even being near the furnace. And the story finishes looking at verses 28 and 29. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. So Nebuchadnezzar recognizes God as the true God and yet makes another decree. We're not told if this decree replaced the previous decree. Probably because of his foolish first decree, he is recognizing the power of God in this new one. Nebuchadnezzar just witnessed a miracle at the defiance of him questioning Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he even asked them, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Well, he found out who that God was. And he may have wanted to protect himself from imminent death by making this new decree. He also takes care of these three men in verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So again, he promotes them just as he did in the last chapter. I guess only this time to a little bit higher position. I don't know how much higher they could have gone. But this is the second way that God protected them by finding favor with man. So not only did God protect them in the fire through the fellowship with God, but after their trial, they had favor with men. These three men didn't put on some extravagant ad campaign for God or jump on their social media to become the next big influencers. They lived their lives, stood on their convictions, and trusted in the truth of God to provide for them. They did this when they first arrived in Babylon by following the Daniel fast, and years later, they continued to stand strong for the Lord. How do we apply this to our lives? Well, let me ask you. How are you representing God in your daily exchanges? Are you liking the latest trend, endorsing the latest social movement, posting about yourself and what you've accomplished? Or are you recognizing God for who he is and all that he has accomplished in your life? People watch us all the time, and they can spot a fake, phony person. Again, I believe I've shared with you before that I've had Supervisors commend me for my attitudes and actions that speak louder than my words. They knew I was a Christian and saw that I walked what I talked. You will face similar confrontations if you haven't already, and you will need to be ready to emulate the faith of these three men. The days of surface faith and cowardly Christianity are coming to an end. We will be the participants in problems caused by the world. We need to understand through our faith and action for God, he will provide protection for us. One, comment, one commentator draws this conclusion from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
The quiet, modest, yet positive attitude of faith that these three men displayed is one of the most noblest examples in scriptures of being fully resigned to the will of God. These men ask for no miracle. They expect none. There's the faith that says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. So my challenge to you today is this. Are you willing to endure the fire and heat for being a Christian? Does your faith go beyond words and actually move into action? Take courage today knowing that whatever fire you face in these times, the Lord is with you. And as I close, please remember these words found in Isaiah 43 to the people of Israel. Starting in verse 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Pray with me if you would. 